0: each time i think you just you know you think you're you're at that breaking point and then it was it was always a it was a surprise you think this is it this is the moment i'm going to break um i can't take any more and you don't break and then you get up the next day and and uh, and and then you're quite surprised at yourself and this little nugget of strength just goes oh i'm i'm stronger than i thought i was and that builds and builds and builds and
1: My name is Liz Gleeson and you're listening to Shapes of Grief. Shapes of Grief is a curation of stories from ordinary people on their experience of loss, how their grief impacted them and what helped them to find their feet again. Loss can really have such a profound effect on our lives and it is my hope that Shapes of Grief will provide comfort, hope and inspiration to our listeners so that together we can get more comfortable talking about grief. If you like what you hear, please consider becoming a patron of Shapes of Grief on patreon.com. This is a listener-supported podcast, so please do donate, like, share and review. It really does keep us going. For more grief resources and grief support, find and follow us on all the usual social media channels and on shapesofgrief.com. for agreeing to come today shapes of grief is a podcast that captures conversations with people who've experienced loss and grief in various forms in their life and you have written extensively about your experience of loss and grief and you've spoken extensively about it also but for the benefit of people who mightn't have heard your story would you fill them in give us a little bit of the background sure well yeah
0: where to start is the thing and um, uh my story i suppose is 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 kind of out there um it's funny to to be a, a googled name Um, it's a, a strange thing uh i i i can say now that i'm a writer because i wrote wrote about my own life and, and, and my own experiences my husband simon Fitzmaurice, uh had motor neuron disease and uh he, he he got it at a very young age he was 34 and we were we were Newly married, what well, with a couple of young kids, uh, very happily married, I might add, and uh, this was kind of like a bomb that went off in our lives, and um, and so Simon was uh, a pretty formidable dude, I think you could say. He 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 was a film director, and he was he was on the cusp of, of quite a successful career when it happened. He made a couple of successful short films, and uh, and suddenly. He, he was complaining of a floppy foot and, and got this horrendous diagnosis for a young man and, and a very strange one, a very, you know, one of those potluck, nobody's really even heard of this disease. It's, it's Stephen Hawking was the name that sprung to mind. It was a very far away random thing. And uh, he he dealt with it in a particular way as in a way a lot of people admire a lot. He, he was a courageous person and, and quite fiery and, and full of creative spirit. Um, and he continued to work as a director. He he wrote about his experiences and um, we just continued with our family and continued with life.
1: What um, was your relationship with Simon like before he was ill? You well, said he was a formidable character. Yeah, mean? I mean,
0: it, it's lovely now in retrospect. I mean, obviously I've lived with um, the sicker version of my husband for many years and anyone who has lived as a carer or with, with somebody who is not in their full health will know that that it, it it's a painful type of grief to live with somebody and watch the parts of them that you recognise slip away and, uh, and you kind of scramble around to try and and, and and keep the parts or find the parts remaining that you recognise um, and so it, it'd be very easy to look back with rose-tinted kind of glasses and go and, and, and describe the man that he was but the man that he was 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 genuinely pretty awesome he was a a handsome, a handsome guy, um, just very creative. Very uh, anyone will tell you who, who met him. He had that. He had that way of charming people, but like a real charm that, uh, that he inspired people. He was. He was ca- the kind of person who who would get the best out of others, and um, he was great fun. Did he get
1: the best out of you?
0: Oh, absolutely, I mean, isn't that what love is? <laughs> you know, you, you see, I, I think that's a lot of what love is. I mean, not that we're entirely selfish creatures, but it's like you see you see in somebody the best version of yourself that you could be. They inspire you to, to be a better person. And uh, and also together, collectively, when you engage with each other, the world seems like a, a, a better place. Um, uh, Simon was one of those people who, being in his company, you couldn't help but see the magic in the everyday, you know. So I, I learned to live that way with him, and, and and genuinely, I could have happily lived in that bubble forever. Um, I I was working in radio, and um, when I met Simon, I uh, I was I was still I was working um, doing research and production in radio uh, in Today FM, and we very quickly. Decided to get married and have children, and uh, the moment I had my first child, I, you know, quite contentedly gave up my job and and started raising a young family, and at the same time, would have been involved in in Simon's creative dreams and 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 you know, t- we were very much a team, you know, mm. so we would get ideas together and, uh, I would I would sort of we would discuss them and, and work on them and. Uh, and I, and i was quite happy to do that and and you know not as a, it, i was raising the kids and and he was working and and it was a beautiful model and in retrospect i wonder <laughs> if life had continued that way it's just funny the way life happens um when i think now who would i've been if simon had never gotten sick
1: i find myself asking that question as well yeah you know where was where was your creativity and yeah and, and you know there's many ways to be creative
0: in this life and and um, it's important to people in different ways and for me the kind of creature that i am i would always have to be doing something creative but it, it for me it's a it's a it's an interesting way to look back on it to think yes i was happy back then but i was i was quite um Naive, um, I was in a happy bubble in a in a sort of a, a a great love, but I'm already in my happy ending, and I can kind of sit back now and this is life, and isn't life great? And as we all know, life doesn't really work like that. There are many um like troughs and dips and and highs and lows, um, and I wonder if it's all hypothetical. But if Simon hadn't gotten sick, would I have ever? I probably would have been quite happy to just. <laughs> Keep having more kids and and uh, and uh, um, you know, contentedly being behind the scenes and 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 uh, letting Simon do most of the creative work and putting himself out there and and, uh, and and living that kind of a life. But that's not the hand that I got
1: dealt. Yeah. Um, I'm so. curious, Ruth, about you know, I'm thinking of that picture I stumbled across recently. Um, yeah. from the yeah. the Wicklow Times or something, and it's us. At the Greystones Breastfeeding Support Group or something, yeah. we both had our first child, so 13, 14 years ago. And we were, you know, it's tough. You have a new baby, you're getting used to that. But you've got your tribe around you of other women, everyone yeah. going through the same stuff. When you your family gets a diagnosis of motor neuron disease, nobody else around you, I assume, had lived through that. So suddenly you're propelled into this universe. How did you manage with that big chasm between your lived experience and what everybody else was living around you?
0: Yeah, I mean, in a way, I think the fact that we were sort of um, creative types uh, stood to us. Um, I I always say that that Simon was lucky in a way uh, that all of his all of his passions were so cerebral and uh, you know making films and writing were things that he could continue but also that sense of when you when you grow up with those sort of um, lean creative leanings um you often <laughs> you often feel like a bit of an alien in your own family or in your own community you feel a little bit different from others and and it's often a kind of a, a journey or a process that you go through in your creative life to find like-minded people or to gain the confidence to do what you need to do um and so having felt like having felt like that my whole life, uh, to be told, yes, you're you're now completely different from everybody else, and your husband has this weird disease, it sort of felt well, well, we've always been a bit well, you know, I thought that maybe we were a bit different from others, but we definitely are now. So the universe is just <laughs> yeah, confirming what you've always felt. Confirmed by alien status.
1: Um And uh, do you think you know, I'm I'm curious about this. I've just finished reading Lynn Ruan's book, People Like Me and You know she would express similar feeling different feeling like she didn't belong Mm -hmm. you know looking for her place to belong as well do you think it is just creatives or do you think so all of us at some level feel where do i belong where's my tribe where are the people who think like me and feel like me yeah i think i think we can all
0: different people have different you don't have to be i mean creative basically encompasses such a huge thing um i don't just mean people who write poems and (laughs) uh i i think there's there's definitely a part of all our psyches that that is is looking for um you know that sense that sense of completeness or fulfillment um and, and genuinely i think a lot of people walk through life in a bit of um a sleepy sleepwalking state and this is the thing that this is the revelation about pain and grief and all of these things. That, yeah, that, um, it, 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 it as, as the painful parts are a huge awakening and, and, um, you know, a metamorphosis and, and a part of um, you've reaching a sense of, of, of uh, a higher sense of yourself, of consciousness. Um, I'm not saying that I'm, you know, it, it's a constant learning thing, we're all constantly getting there, but it's a reminder of. For me, it was a reminder of what the hell are we doing here, you know? Um, I think we can all get a little bit over-civilised and over-socialised and, and forget that um, there's more to life than, you know, the, the model of go to school, get a job, uh, you know, get a mortgage, get married, or sorry, one comes before the other, or whatever watch Coronation Street every yeah, evening. Yeah, yeah, you can and, and it is and, and, and whether it's a, a diagnosis I mean that's a bit of a kick in the face it's a, there, mm. there are gentler ways to be reminded of that in yeah. life so it was certainly a huge one for us but there, most of us nobody escapes that wake up and, 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 and actually Simon used to describe it uh, because for him in his writing uh, being diagnosed was that huge wake up call and, and, and he, 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 he said he often looked at his life he could look back and pinpoint times when he was sort of just moseying along and and in that kind of sleep sleepwalking state where he wasn't really thinking about things and those wake up moments where you are you just pull back and you see things from like a sharp from a different perspective and and almost that existential like oh my god i'm here i'm gonna die one day and what's going on Um, and 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 those moments can be hugely um creatively they can be amazing and and
1: uh, and in terms of what you can achieve if, if, you're, if they're channeled the right way so. Um, and in psychology circles they call it post-traumatic growth yeah. and you've described that beautifully, it's like when a bomb goes off in your life suddenly everything, you know, if you have been living in a fog, the trauma or the grief or the loss is so visceral yeah. that you have no choice but, to, but to, to acknowledge this pain and hold this pain and put it somewhere or do something with it or simply carry it, you know? Profound loss can rock our inner world. It's confusing, life altering, and often scary. You've probably already figured out that there are no stages of grief, but are there other models, theories, tools, or practices that can help us to navigate the grieving process? To learn more, visit shapesofgrief.com. As Liz says, the more people who are grief trained, the more supportive and compassionate our society will be. And that will make life so much better for anyone coping with loss and grief. Now,
0: let's get you back to the podcast. And it's interesting that too, because um, a lot of people, like obviously I wrote about it um, and I, I, I didn't do it in a way of, when I began to write about what was happening to us, It was it was really diary entries for myself. I was talking to myself with 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 without the intention of it becoming a book, but then obviously it did become a book and it got put out there, and even the fact that the story was out there in the media or whatever about Simon because it was such an unusual situation, um, you would have a lot of people. I always find people's reaction to it interesting. You know, people kind of will will often look at you and say, "Wow, you're so brave. You're so yeah. you've got you're so courageous," um, and I was never comfortable with that because I didn't feel that I was doing anything unusual you had no choice yeah. you were surviving yeah it was survival and um and i didn't think when i looked at myself compared to other people i could you know see bravery in others and and, and it kind of confused me to think well what is bravery actually i read something the other day which said the courage um really is just acting from the heart and i thought that was lovely yeah. you know that that if you look at it that way that people are com- committing acts of from the heart you know heartfelt
1: actions all the time, and they can be tiny things. They can be normal, everyday things. It's all courage. Yeah,
0: um,
1: uh, it comes from the word cœur, which is French yeah, for all, heart.
0: Yeah, yeah. So acts of the heart, which, yeah. is, which is lovely because um, w- w- which is very encouraging for humanity to think that we're all essentially brave. Once yeah. you're doing something from love or um, for doing it for those reasons, it's, it's by its very nature a brave act, which is yeah. really
1: nice and a lot of people don't come from the heart they're coming from the head and from societal yeah. norms so it's it's lovely that you're talking about this fog that is, you know, that a trauma or a death can release yeah. um, and, and bring forth it's like it, it shatters an ego or shatters a, a persona and brings forth something with huge potential it's like, yeah. Yeah. will I go further into the fog by drinking, by smoking, by you know, losing myself in addiction or denial, Mm. or do I choose to step out of the fog now that this event has happened in my life?
0: Absolutely. And I mean, in saying that, I am no, I am no stranger to those distractions myself. You know, I mean, I've gone through every, through the years with Simon, he was sick for a very long time. Um, look, uh, luckily I had my writing because I could explore these things. So if I found myself, you know, um, downing a bottle of wine at the weekend or you know those kind of things I, I was able to to talk to myself about it and go what's going on here yeah.
1: and
0: you know just channel the feelings behind all that stuff it's the best form of therapy but that's just my way I mean there are many ways of doing it um, what did
1: your grief look like at its worst
0: <laughs> um it, well like it, it is ongoing I you know even every time I think that I'm over it um or not over it or I'm I'm at a certain stage of it, I get pulled back by my children, by, you know, a box I find in the in the wardrobe, all of that. But I if it, the hardest part perhaps to, to remember I think was probably when Simon was diagnosed a certain amount of time and um, I sort of think of it as when he was diagnosed first we, we went into hero mode. Um so we were just going to be these super superheroes who who, who fought this beast and won and and fought at life and and, and, uh, so I I was this kind of walking talking hero holding a child in one hand and pushing my husband in the wheelchair with the other um, and that was a way of coping Um, and we were living in um, the countryside in County Louds in a little cottage which was about 20 minutes uh, from anywhere and it was our dream place, we had we had sold up left our house in Greystones to go and kinda of live this artist's life of of living mortgage free and um, you know, Simon was gonna make write films and make films and I was I was gonna hopefully write I think I wanted to write children's books or something at that point and raise the kids in a big in a big garden. And uh I was trying to do it all and I was kind of in denial about the fact or very defensive about the fact that I might not be coping and um I can remember just, the kids were really young. Um, and so I was running from changing nappies to running down to Simon and, and, and helping him. He, he sort of had a studio attached to the house. And I remember just running. I used to, there was stairs that I used to run up and down the whole time uh, outside the house, and like, you know, running to, screaming child, running to him. And I fell one day and landed on my face and fell really badly. Um, um, and, and scraped the whole side of my face and I was just lying there thinking, I actually don't think I can get up. I might have broken my arm or something and there was nobody there to help me get up. I kind of started crying and laughing at the same time. That was the kind of wake up call that maybe I was, you know, in a bad place. But I, at that time, I remember I used to do things like just uh, push the nails of my, um, you know, my fingernails into the palm of my hand as hard as I could. It was almost just like, to release the pressure, to feel something, or I'd yeah. bang my head off a wall, um, you, till I saw sparks, you know, just out of some kind of um, just to feel something. It was just this frustration of trying like, to you know, physicalize the mental anguish, yeah, 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 that kind of thing. And that was that was quite a hard time. Um, but th- there's been yeah, there's been plenty of them. Um, each time I think you just, you know, you think you're you're at that breaking point, and then it was. It was always a, it was a surprise you think this is it this is the moment i'm going to break Um, i can't take any more and you don't break and then you get up the next day and and, uh, and and then you're quite surprised at yourself and this little nugget of strength just
1: goes oh i'm i'm stronger than i thought i was and that builds and builds and builds and that, that famous stronger. saying <laughs> i'm stronger than you're stronger than you think you are yeah yeah you mentioned about people saying to you you're so strong you're so brave and how it didn't resonate for you. Yeah. What other things did people say that were not helpful?
0: Uh, oh, I've got to want to get into that.
1: Well, you know,
0: there's um, there's help. I, I always find it amazing that help is a funny thing and I'm, I'm quite an independent person and, and, and it's a real thing that the help that you get offered is never really the help that you need and learning to articulate the help that you want or need is is a very difficult thing. I don't think I've even still mastered it. Yeah. Um, uh, and and that that was my huge frustration. Really, is like being being given help that turned out to be more stressful, and almost
1: being slave to other people's help. And I can just hear the listeners going, oh, my God, what? Because <laughs> I have I been know. doing the wrong thing? <laughs> yeah, but it's,
0: it's not. And people are wonderful. It's it's um, so I, helpful more, to
1: tell people yeah. what not to say as well as what to say, which we'll come to. Yeah. But what sort of things can you remember that just didn't work and why?
0: Well, I, I, I'm i talking more about, you know, Simon, for, for starters, just from, um, uh, you know, when we were living in the countryside and, we used to get visits from public health nurses and things like that and that kind of help i mean sort of the, the 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 you know the the help that's supposed to be given and because simon was sort of he wasn't quite one thing or another that nobody really knew what to do with a motor neuron disease patient and so we, we did get wonderful help but you know, people used to come to the house and you know to so say the social worker would turn up and i'd sit there and think um I wasn't really sure why she was there. I wasn't sure what her role was or what my role was in response. Or was she, you know, was she judging me as a mother? Should I offer her a cup of tea? And and, and all these things are going on in your head and, and, and you're part of, you're in this process, but you're not really understanding it. And then they'd say things like, you know, do you think you'd like to talk to somebody? And I'd say, well, yeah. And then nothing would ever come of it. Like no kind of psychological help was offered really. Mm-hmm it was it was sort of mentioned and then forgotten about and, and that's really what i needed you know was was to talk it out and you know they they were it was more kind of an interest in ticking boxes and i'm just ticking boxes was actually something that was said to me a few times you think great right? wow. yeah I, you know we'll take away but it's not really much help to me um in terms of friends we were we were i'm very lucky in that regard um i I have very good friends, and um, there is a thing that when when somebody gets sick, um, certain friendships fall away, and uh, and certain other friendships that were were you know, the other people who weren't close friends suddenly become, in, in dispen- like They just you know they're your lifeblood, um, and so that's interesting. Uh, I think you you become much more selective in your friendships, which again I think is probably a good uh, way to be in life, yeah. often, you know, because you don't have the energy. We, we, we waste a lot of energy um, having social exchanges that drain us as people, not realizing how much it is draining us. Um, and when you're in that survival mode, you can't cope with that at all. So you're not capable of having those exchanges in the first place, which yeah. is actually quite liberating.
1: You need the person who'll just come in and say, I've made dinner for three days, and I'm going to clean up here. <laughs> Well, yeah, more just, yeah, I, I'm, I, I think I became
0: a lot more of a, a, an intense person as well. There was little time for chit chat or that draining sort of chit chat yeah. that, you know, um, or, or those type of friends who might make you feel a little bit inadequate and you're not really sure why. Or are they putting you down or all those sort of like toxic exchanges that that we all sort of hover around in everyday life? They were all just cut off. I couldn't. Couldn't couldn't do that, and so I could only be around people who, um, you know, almost it, it was like I was only capable of speaking to other people's souls. I couldn't even do chit chat. It was just I was probably a really scary, intense person, probably
1: still am. <laughs> but uh, so I, it's I just interesting kind of remedi- you said some people yeah. dropped away, and others you didn't expect ended up coming in, and well, uh, some people,
0: you know, and, and I saw that with Simon too. Uh, some of some of his close old, close older friends, um a lot of people just for because of their own issues don't know what to do around illness and it's not Mm. for any kind of meanness or lack of depth on their part it's just they don't know what to do and they don't know how um and and some people are just more equipped um to cope with that and so yeah our 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 friendships kind of got a bit more streamlined um and also we were difficult people to be around Um, you know there's no Um, and some people don't have the language for that or they can't navigate it and we all have our own busy lives and there just isn't space in other people's lives to accommodate this complicated situation Um, and so I think it it falls into a natural pattern where it's supposed to go that you're not supposed to be surrounded by amazing people who can help you just the right few is enough you don't want a whole gang of people coming in I certainly didn't
1: what were the qualities, Ruth, of those people that helped you? <laughs>
0: um, a, a sense of um, a sense of realness about them. Um, often you would find I, I do think there's that thing. Um, it's almost um, people who have been through any kind of trauma in in their life up thus far. I mean, everybody goes through something, but some people just haven't got there yet. And you can almost pick them out in a crowd once you're in that zone. It's like a secret society yeah. of the I call it or something, you know? And so you, you pick these people out and you naturally gravitate towards these people. What do you see? Out. I no, not like, like you're talking magic here. Like it's it's just it's just something, you know, a flicker of the eyelid. No, I don't know. I think it's just it's it's an energy that you're drawn to them, whatever that is, yeah. that magical thing that happens between people. It's a soulful thing. Um, uh it's it's a wonderful thing and it's it's uh I think that you don't when when you're that raw you don't even have to be open to it. It just comes to you which is another blessing. Um I didn't do anything um amazing to attract these people into my world. We we, we just sort of gravitated towards each other um and at different times I think the only thing you have to be aware of is to be allow yourself be open to it, don't be afraid. Um But again, as I say, I think when you're you're down on the floor, when you're that wrecked, you're just looking for you're you know, you're you are more open to what comes in because you're desperate. Yeah. Um, So.
1: And Ruth, you mentioned, you know, that a lot of people or most people at some stage in their life, they have some massive loss Mm. or trauma or transition that does propel them into a different path or onto a different path or into a different universe. Um. this happened to you, but it was an ongoing process for a lot of people, it's a death or an yeah. illness that's maybe a year or two years and then someone dies and it's a transitory point in their life. You had such a long process, mm,
0: okay.
1: how did you manage that?
0: Um. Because I'm brave and amazing obviously, no, I, I think uh, for, I don't I don't know I, I don't know how I managed I think the the uh, the writing as I say was was huge the the, the friendships I made and uh, it, it all I can't really separate the two when it started this it also it, it helped me look inward and, and kind of start talking to myself in a way I hadn't before um, and I started sea swimming which is no no um coincidence either. It was all this sort of draw towards very um, kind of meaningful real things and the sea swimming particularly I think is a, a way of, of, of just being, um, just waking yourself up every day and, 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 and clearing your brain out and being connected to nature. Uh, I, I was just drawn to all the right things. That's, that's, that's how I did it I suppose. Um, and as i say i can't really I, I don't really look at it as as this horrible uh kind of cut in my life or or thing ordeal that i had to go through because at the same time it was happening as this awful thing was happening and um, you know my my writing voice was being created at the same time so my creative self was being being created at the same time so yeah. i can't separate the two so i'm it regard, but despite all the all of the things, the bad things that happened, I I am not saying I'm I'm glad Simon got sick, but I'm 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 grateful for. Uh, uh, you know, being able to live this life now, where I get to channel, all this stuff and and write, which is what I love to do, and and it gives me a great sense of fulfillment and meaning.
1: Did you ever feel sense? like it does? <laughs> it does. I'm just envisaging the yin and yang symbol, you know um yeah just the juxtaposition of these two lives that you're living yeah you know and how one is sustaining the other
0: yeah yeah for sure yeah um
1: did you ever feel like leaving no it never
0: it it never i i I got i i began to when when simon got really it was very difficult to watch him suffer uh particularly towards the end and uh, i was happy as long as i felt that his life was you know that he had you, some sense of love and meaning in his life and that he wasn't, his suffering was, you, you know, was juxtaposed with with enough um, of the good stuff, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, and then towards the end, it got very, very difficult. and It's very difficult to watch the person that you love suffer like that and you begin to, and then you have all that guilt of thinking, this is too much. Um, and, and you know, he would have been the gauge of what was too much or not. So often there were times when I thought it was too much and then I'd see the kids crawl on top of him and lay their hands on him and, and see, you know, his eyes light up and I think, oh, I was wrong. He's, he's okay. He's, he's getting something here. Um, but yeah, the the end was slow and painful and, and, and difficult and, and more, not that I wanted out, but I began to kind of pray that his suffering would end for sure. And that's a, that's a difficult thing to admit because uh, it's a hard thing, you know, to, 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 uh, to uh, you know, to sometimes when you love somebody, you, it's natural, you don't want to see them suffer. Um, so not that I, I, I want, I, I never contemplated leaving, leave what? My family, I, I, I began to, the reason I started swimming at the cove was because my fam- my home had become a place I did want to leave. It wasn't my home, it was full of nurses and it was a public space. I just began to spread my home out into <laughs> into another place. So the, yeah. the whole tribe thing was that the, the cove became a second home or or a, or a place where I felt, you know, um, a peace, just finding it's like, I mean, you, you have kids and, and, and that sense of a chaotic house um, you can often be, you know, crawling through it, just trying to find a little quiet corner, a little place of peace. Um, and you can't find it but particularly that's fine if it's, if it's your own kids it's sort of just a, an eye roll and a you know take a breather outside but when your house is full of full of nurses and and um, machinery it's it's a difficult uh it's, it's it's a horrible thing um
1: what did the sea give you ruth
0: yeah well as well i think it, it gave me a lot of things um you know it gave it gave that sort of No matter how bad the day was that that reassurance that there was something i could do to make myself feel better which is a real comfort better than drink or drugs or any of those things it was that it was just that sense of you know knowing no matter how bad things are i know if i jump in the sea i'll feel better but like on a more romantic level when i look back i can kind of think um that like my husband couldn't physically hold me Um, i I had like you know holding on to children and that is is a certain but i was lacking in a whole you know all of those tactile ways of, of of bonding as a couple were being taken and uh and i was lonely and so there is that sense of the sea holding you you know um not that sense of a bit cheesy, but like it it, no. it was
1: it, it was that sense of like this big container that you can sink yeah, into yeah. and and it is it's this yeah. living
0: moving thing and and i i used to feel held by the sea and and that sense of you know even the the kind of the randomness of the waves and all of that stuff it was i think it it it's all it it's all connected to that sense of um like i'm talking about that uh the sense of us becoming over-civilized and as women as well, we have these, you know, these cycles every month and, um, but that it's all connected to the waves and the moon and all of that stuff. And, and c- connecting with the sea, I was connecting to that kind of, sort of an, a, a wilder kind of thing in my psyche that, that maybe was lacking. And
1: that, hmm. you know, it, it's sort of a thing that all women go through or people. Um. It sounds like just a total expansion. Yeah. of your awareness and your consciousness yeah and sure. we have to do that to survive grief we have to grow we can't sit around waiting for the grief to shrink we have to yeah. grow to be able to carry it better
0: and and also then you're not just you, whatever grief i had i mean i i thought i'd it all figured out and that uh, when it, as i say the the sort of the that there was a certain amount of, it was so painful, but there was a relief when Simon finally let go and, and when he died, um, because the pain was over and his pain, and to see someone so incapacitated and, and not being able, once he couldn't communicate at all, it was, it was horrifying to think he was trapped in a body that couldn't move. And, and, and after that initial relief subsided, uh, I, I also thought that I grieved a lot of the old him uh, before he died. Um, and then the first year after he died was, was spent dealing with the kid's grief. <laughs> and so I had five little souls who were all very different at home and um, they all have their own grief, which is different to mine and, and, and childlike based on, on like age-appropriate age grief based
1: on where they're at. Because Simon was I mean such a presence in the house. Yeah. even though at the end all he could move were his eyes, right?
0: oh god I mean he was with kids you you know they he, he was more than a, he was, he was fully their dad I mean some of the younger ones they don't remember him as the old Simon who moved and talked or whatever yeah. he, he but um yet he was he, like he was a wonderful dad um and very involved in their lives and and fought to be so and 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 they it, it was amazing to watch their their sense of they were just quite happy to know that he was there,
1: and <laughs> um, yeah. and then he wasn't there. It's and like he, someone's so, presence alone, yeah. without words, without yes. movement. There's such a presence about someone. Yeah. Even if it's just communication through their eyes. Exactly. You know, yeah. so much can be said.
0: Yeah, for sure, and mm-hmm. uh, and they, they they have they have really struggled, and um, and they will struggle their whole lives because. Your dad is your dad, and and you know when I it's a it's it's something that is going to be a job for me to help them through for for their whole life because every every um major event every milestone in their life they're always going to be thinking my dad's not here yeah and there's nothing I can do about that you know we just have to yeah
1: we just have how to do you manage that because as mothers we want to fix things for our children yeah we, we want to make it okay. Well, I struggle with that. I struggle yeah. with
0: that hugely that I can't fix it, you know, and uh, I try and fix it and I try and, 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 um, and do all that I can. But at a certain point with them, we went through a year and some of them, they all dealt with it in different ways. And, you know, some plateau at a certain point and, and, and others are coping by coping. Um, and then some of them aren't. And, and one of my kids particularly just got stuck you know and he he'd say himself he's like i'm stuck in the grief i'm stuck in the grief he he, he would say um and he was and and it's very difficult to see your 9 year old um lethargic with grief and pale and non functioning um and not able to cope and not able to concentrate in school um and 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 doesn't know what's wrong you know can't, can't articulate what's wrong just is like a depressed person and so i had to Concede that I didn't know how to cope with this, and uh, I, you know, they they began to do uh, which, obviously, uh, suggested by you. You gave me great advice, and uh, t- three of them went into uh, play therapy, which has helped enormously. And um, just to give some of it over to a professional person who can, or give them a space outside of the home where they can express themselves, and you know, and it's hard as a mother to. Uh, to kind of give give your child over to someone else and say, I can't fix this, I need help.
1: <laughs> and it's essential, yeah. it's essential for us to know that although we gave birth to them and have brought them into the world, there is a world raising them, yeah. whether we like it or not. Yeah. You know, every teacher, every therapist, every friend, every family they know, we're all doing a little bit mm. of teaching and raising and holding each other. I, yeah. I felt
0: relief when I saw the good effect that it had yeah. on them
1: uh and then in saying that you know
0: you what you get one over the line and then one of the other go- goes yeah. that's the way it is in big because you have five children <laughs> with yeah. five and, and they all have different issues at different stages and, and yes it could be exhausting um it certainly keeps me busy but then sometimes we you know sometimes i get it wrong and you know your patient runs out but i always find even at those times when the patience runs out it can often end with two of you crying and hugging each other and then it comes out mutually um, and so it's never it's never the wrong thing
1: yeah and sometimes that's what's most needed is just to have a good old howl yeah and acknowledge yeah. the pain and then make dinner
0: yeah exactly um but i found that yeah that was a whole other level of the grief was remembering or going back uh to the old simon and remembering him the the guy who you know used to have a cheeky glint in his eye and pinch my waist and and you know all those things um reconciling myself with that and and uh, and and it's important for the kids because they need to hear about their dad in the old days yeah so, you know on all of that and um
1: so how do you do that we would call that continuous bonds yeah so you know a life has ended but a relationship hasn't how do you keep those bonds alive and continue to have simon in the family in a different shape or form or do you have you thought about that
0: well i i did a really healthy thing which was you know write the screenplay of my my book for the last year which was was a strange and and uh, i i think it became part of that process i was in the middle of it thinking this is either really good therapy or i'm going to need therapy after doing this um because i was writing uh you know scenarios from the past i mean i was literally surrounded by ghosts and you know it, writing scenes of dialogue and making people speak and um it, really visually making the past come alive in my own head and on the page um it was it, w- it was a strange process and i did it and then i left it uh for a while and came back to it and then even found that over the few months where i hadn't looked at it i had was able to look back and 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 gain insight into the threads that I had written and go, Oh, I didn't even see that and that and, and and just make sense of things in a different way. Which was which was which was really good and and I felt a bit wiser for it at the end. And it really did I felt like I made my peace with him a little bit and made my peace with the old him versus the sick him. Yeah. Uh, and he's in the bookshelf as well. That was part of it. I sound like a mad woman saying my <laughs> husband's in the bookshelf but we have this we have this floor-to-ceiling bookshelf in our, in our kitchen, which is a lot of his collection of books. And as I was writing the, writing the screenplay, um, for whatever reason, you know, call it poltergeists or ghostly things, but books began to pop out, or I would find that a book was, um, uh, it, it would catch my eye on the bookshelf for whatever reason, because it was, it was slightly out from the rest or whatever, or it was at a weird angle. And uh, and Simon was was you know he used to he used to um, write little notes and stick them into his books and he would scribble scribble kind of things on the these little notes to himself and um or or put things in the books and I began to I went on this strange little journey of finding things in all his books uh, which was sort of part of the process too it was kind mm. of nice. And um, it's weird to say my husband's in the bookshelf, so I kind of feel like he's there <laughs> sometimes. Do you talk so. about him at home? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think that's important. Mm-hmm. It's it's how you and the kids have, you know, all they all have their little pictures of him up and, and all of that kind of thing and and and, and memories of him in that way.
1: And I'm, sure. I'm curious, yeah. Ruth, after um such a long illness and the anticipatory grief you must have gone through, you know, living with this loss. Did anything about the actual grief of Simon dying surprise you? Because we talked earlier about how, you know, although very ill, Simon had such a presence. Yeah. And even when somebody is dying, it's very different when they're actually dead. It's yes. quite stark. Is there anything about that process, which you must have gone over a hundred times in your head during his illness?
0: Everything surprised me. Yeah. The entire... um. um the way I thought it would be and how it, how it was, were completely different. Um, we start
1: with how you thought it would be.
0: Well, I I don't know. I thought that I had gained a certain amount of, I didn't think I'd be as lonely as I was. Um, I thought that I had, uh, I, I didn't, I was quite surprised that I missed the nurses when they left as well, like really missed them. Because, you know, I took for granted, I, well, you know, it's like anything, you get used to a certain way of existing and, and uh, you fight against them and go, I just want a bit of peace. And suddenly they were all gone. And particularly in the evenings, then I'd spend all day with the kids and there was nobody there in the evening. It was just me on my own and this terrible silence, it, it, you know, and I thought that I am quite a, I like my own company, you know, I'm, I'm quite independent in that way. I mean, I love company, but I also, I don't mind a bit of solitude, but this was a, a this was a, a it's like a chasm, you know, it was, it was, mm-hmm. it was quite shocking. Um, and the bustle of the house was gone once the kids were in bed or the kids were at school. Um, it, I was blissfully alone for, for, for some parts when I was working and writing, but the nighttime, the evenings really got me. Um, and so what I started doing actually was just getting up really early and going to bed with the kids. So I didn't have to cope with that. Wow. I just changed the way that, that I lived to, yeah. to, to, and, and, and over time I've 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 you know I've gotten used to a new way of existing. It doesn't bother me as much. I don't I don't have that loneliness now. But particularly at the beginning it was it was quite a shock to, to, to realise that I missed them all. Um not that I I mean you know i I bonded and had some wonderful friendships from the nurses in the house. Um but but yeah that was a huge surprise that, that to miss that and um
1: I think we can underestimate how other people regulate us. You know, when we're used to having people around, whether we like it or not, it does become, it's like ants in a colony, (laughs) you know, we need each other, we're regulating each other, we're, you know, that we do something to each other way beyond an emotional level, like on a biological level as well, we're regulating each other, and even if it's someone like an ex-husband or, you know, a nurse that maybe you wanted the space from, it can be so dysregulating when they're gone. Yeah. Yeah yeah you know and that can surprise many people
0: Mm, i was surprised by that because i thought um um and, and then just just the regular noises in my world changed so much Um, all the noises of the machinery i used to hear them even when they weren't there and yeah there was a huge adjustment yeah um and uh and then i you know you go into i think it's a very normal thing you go into hyperdrive of re there was a certain amount of reorganization that had to be done um and, and that kind of the the I, I really didn't know what to do and I decided I would just be guided by everybody said don't don't do anything in a hurry, you know, just take your time. Um but that revelation that you can change a space just by painting it and moving furniture. So it's just quite amazing because we had to the room that Simon used to be Simon's room is now a kid's room with three three children in it, both beds and and uh, and the nurse's old uh old uh, um, the nurse's station or the study where the nurses hung out which um, was always a busy bustly place with desks and you know like coffee machines and things that's my bedroom now and I've created this lovely um, haven of a place that was my one thing that um, I, 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 I did I, I started trying to do things that were, were good for the kids and, and change things in, in, in positive ways and um, so I sort of built myself a little
1: <laughs> so you're saying you were in the nurse's station and yeah. there's three kids now in Simon's room. So yeah. Yeah. when Simon was alive, he was in one bedroom, the nurses yeah. had another room.
0: Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> then the kids had their bedrooms and then I had no bed because I, I did I, I was in, in the room with Simon um up to a point and uh, then particularly the sicker he got um and the more interruptions he needed at night with I mean he slept with a baby monitor and nurses coming in and out and, and I reached a frenzy point of no sleep and, and moved out of the bedroom um which was kind of a heartbreaking thing because it was something very like primarily broken you know for me moving out like that um it, 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 it there was a real it was part of the gr- the grieving process is, is is admitting that that part of your relationship is gone yeah um and so I I just kind of I wandered around like a like a nomad for sleeping on couches and I ended up I at one stage actually when he died I was sleeping in the bottom bunk in the kids room so I was bunking in we had this tiny little room with two bunk beds in in an L shape four of us sleeping like in a it was like a hostel or something um so yeah that my one of the first things I did was uh, I I made myself a new room and I got a, a new big comfy double bed and painted the walls orange and put this huge picture of the the sea it's actually the cove where i swim a big painting and so the room is literally a bed and this giant painting and there's nothing else in it and i still you know at night i just you know when the kids and all when the work is done and the day's toil is 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 over i crawl in there and just you know lie down on my really comfy mattress and, and Uh, And I'm just happy to be there.
1: Um, I love that image of the cove brought to your room. So you have this little sanctuary and the cove that has held you for all these years is now there holding you at home as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm really struck by you floating around the house from sofa to bunk bed to (laughs) wherever you can grab a bit of duvet, Ruth. Yeah. What have you learned about self-care, in <laughs> all of this? <laughs> well,
0: I'm still learning. I'm still learning. You know, uh, the self-care is is huge for women, isn't
1: it? I mean, and this and is yeah, and this yeah. is vital for people who are grieving. So yeah. yeah, really do share what you've learned.
0: Yeah, well, I've learned that it's like I say, um, you know, I I built myself a room. I re, you know realizing that you have to do the things that that, that are good for you. It's not selfishness, you know. I think it's easier when you have a lot of kids at a certain age and most women come to that realization that, you know, you're the, and, and as a single parent as well, you're, you know, you're the engine. So if you break down the whole ship ain't going to run, you know? So if you don't look after yourself, um, they won't, you know, they, they will, they, they need you to be well and healthy and okay. And so I, I did, I started trying to look at things that were, that i got a kick out of but weren't damaging you know so rather than drowning wine which can be nice but um or you know or eat bad food and things like that i try to do to get my kicks doing things that are healthy and um, sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't but you know the swimming every day is a huge thing um and and uh that's something that i'm going to to always need um and uh and and see for me writing is self care. Like when things get too much and I get overwhelmed, uh, as can often be the case when you're minding five kids by yourself. Um, it's all manageable when I'm doing the right things, you know. And if I if my head starts getting swamped with worries and 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 what ifs and we're doomed, I just say to myself, it's just because you're not writing, you know. And and it just becomes an answer for everything. It's just because you're not writing. So just. Do what you have to do. You know you have to do to feel better and, and, and keep
1: going. So it sounds like your external world is as good as your internal world. Huh? It's all projected out, right?
0: Well, I try, and then you know sometimes sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, depending yeah. on the time of the month mostly. Okay. <laughs> you know, um, I wouldn't for a moment uh, suggest that I've it all figured out. I'm learning as I go.
1: I mean, you're yeah. still like, it's, it's hard to believe in some ways, you're still really quite early in your grief. It's been about 18 months. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's crazy. Well, yes, yeah, Simon died in, on October
0: 26th in 2017. Um, so not even so, uh, which is, is crazy. Your I don't know if your sense of time as well when you're living, um, when, when you're living with illness and 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 in the, in the scenario we did or maybe it's just having loads of kids as well um my sense of the years is just strange you know i can't kind of uh reconcile myself i can't even believe that the years passed in some ways it seems like it has been way shorter and then in some ways it feels like it's been much longer than that so um i don't know
1: it doesn't make yeah any it's sense. only like 14 or 15 months at this stage not mm-hmm. even yeah. which we'd consider still very much the epicentre of bereavement.
0: Yeah, well, as I say, I'm still discovering um, things, you know, like I was saying, we're, there's still parts of parts of our house that we're clearing out and changing, and um, the wardrobe in the boys' room, which was Simon's wardrobe, I only just cleared out the other day. Um, and, you know, when I say clear out, I just mean, you know, sorting through and, and making room for their stuff. And I found all these boxes that I had put there and and when I had cleared the nurse's study and uh, I put away some precious things of Simon's that I thought, well, I'm not ready to to throw those out or move them on. I'll just, I'll put them here for now. And so these are boxes that I put together, you know, and I came across them and opened them up and just got slammed with all these memories. And, and, And it's amazing to me how objects after just over time their their meaning can change <laughs> you know the meaning of what, what how you felt when you put them away and how you feel a year later when you open up the box again it's you just it, it's kind of a revelation or a surprise you don't really know how you're going to feel about that.
1: like you were hijacked by your grief yeah
0: yeah and mm. um, finding finding all things of his that you know over time just um brought back different feelings and different memories and and i, and I think it'll always be like that you don't it, it's very hard to make sense of a person being here and then not being here i mean this is the mystery of life isn't it <laughs> yeah it's it's just do we do do we ever make sense of it i don't know we just cope and we 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 continue and um
1: and the permanence of it as well mm. You know that yeah. it's it's forever. It's and not just something you went through last yeah. year.
0: Particularly when they're so young, you know, yeah. and, uh, losing somebody so young, or when someone's life is so short. I mean, like, God knows, Simon packed a lot in there. He did a lot of stuff. He certainly led a full life, despite all of all of uh, his all of the challenges. But at the same time, he was so young, um if you you know i i know we swim with these two lovely ladies in their 70s and um they they've gotten to the stage where a lot of their friends are are, are dying and so you know they'll turn up and kind of say oh we're off to a funeral today it seems like every other day and they go no no it was a good funeral it's a good funeral this time though you know and what they mean by that is that it's somebody who lived a long life and uh, not everybody gets that and and uh, and as i say it comes back to that kind of wake up thing isn't it that um, we all, I, I think that like in our civilized sense, we think that if we follow certain rules that we're, we're entitled to certain certain things, not realizing that like by fo- following those rules is no guarantee that you're going to be given those things. There are no guarantees and, and control is an illusion. <laughs> yeah. So um, in a way, again, going through these things or in that space we talked about, um, about, you know, that sense of awakening from the, the fog, Um, it reminds you of that, which is a good reminder that, yes, obviously there are some societal rules that are good to follow, but they're not everything and uh, thinking outside the box and and, and really thinking about what is meaningful to you and what is meaningful to your children as they grow and what do you want to teach them? These are all things that grow from that, you know, which is a good thing, I think.
1: Do you find that you relate differently to people with that knowledge or that wisdom?
0: (laughs) Well, I would, I would never call myself wise, but as I say again, I think it's, it's just a, it's, it's a, it, it's a, you recognize it in other people, I think is the thing. You, um, it's just a look or a feeling or mm. a level of conversation that you fall into very swiftly when you meet somebody. Uh, it's a connection that you have with, with other people that is, is very meaningful and intense and wonderful and, and, uh, um certainly in terms of, of, of
1: uh, connecting with other humans, it only adds to it. Ooh. So yeah. And do you have a hunger for those types of connections?
0: Uh yeah they say I they seem to just kind of, you know, come my way. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Lucky you <laughs> Well nice. I think
0: mean, it's that thing of, you know, all that, that, that hippie stuff about what you put out there, you get back, um I say that in the best possible way. it, it is very true, but you know, there is that thing that if you if you put out a memoir um, where you write all your innermost thoughts you tend to get people project that back to you and they tell you theirs they um, meet you at that level they meet you at that level yeah. for sure and uh and it's it's intense and wonderful and sometimes overwhelming but it's never boring
1: <laughs> and how is that for you you know we're here in Grace it's a small little village yeah. i assume lots of people know you at this stage how is it for you walking around getting your coffee knowing that people know these intimate details about
0: you. I wouldn't wouldn't want to think about that too much. Um, I don't, luckily I'm a bit of a daydreamer, so I tend to not really, you know, I kind of walk around in my own daydream really, um, which is is different from the fog or maybe it's the same thing, but uh, my head's always miles away anyway. So people are really nice to me. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay, but they're probably thinking they don't tend to you know on a on a chatty level unless it's somebody who's been through something or or, you know has had some kind of pain in their life most people wouldn't connect on that level they wouldn't kind of go oh you're the lady who wrote the book and you said this they tend to kind of avoid all of the intense things that i've said in my book which is is grand but i get regulated by my own kids as well you know like i have a, a get naked sign in my kitchen and my son sort of saying you know he he he's he's having a friend over, and he's kind of saying, "Look, it's okay, mum. I told him that our house is really messy, and that you've got to get naked sign on the on the on the wall. I'd rather that you took it down, but you know, I have warned them. So I get scolded by him all the time.
1: And I think you know, just back to the memoir as well, Ruth. When you share at that level with people, it's such a gift because it enables people. It gives them permission to do the same. Mm. You know to acknowledge their own hurts or their own growing or you know, their own inner world, that actually a lot of people do keep hidden. Mm. And I know as a bereavement therapist, I see a lot of these people who life has split them open all of a sudden and they don't know this new world at all. Mm. So yeah. for you to use your creativity to, to show this is the potential landscape inside all of us,
0: I would would hope that and it is it's massively fulfilling to write something from you know um from your dark the darkest corners of your soul and then for people to to relate to it in any way obviously and for it not to have been done I mean like I can I can genuinely stand over it and say you know there are so many things in this modern world that seem to be done from like a place of ego you know and um and you know the kind of the selfie sense of how do I make a success of this? Or how do I, oh, I'm having a life moment. How can I maximize this? And you know, that kind of thing. And, um, and and I would like to, you know, art and, and writing and, and and those sort of things should be separate from that. And, and and it's I love the idea of if somebody's having a hard time, go read a poem or, you know, like go and have a walk and look at the sea, or, you know, read a passage from a book that helps. And, and it could be abstract. But um, they're the ways to feed your soul, you know, um, I think, anyway. So um, it, was, it was done from that place. And, and hopefully mm. it's, 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 uh, it connects to people in, at that level, you know.
1: Well, it's like what you said earlier. It's just a knowing. When you look at someone, it's a knowing. And I think when we read a poem, you know, it's a, it's a knowing with the poet who's written it. Yeah. You know, there's a resonance there. So what now? <laughs> what now? <laughs> Um, What's going on in your life now? Yeah, and my uh well,
0: I'm busy with with the five little little grieving ones um who are coping a lot better these days, it has to be said. Um some days good, some days bad. Um that keeps me busy and I'm trying to uh I was working on the on the script for the uh the 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 book got optioned by Element Pictures and so that i have been working with them to write a a, a script f- uh, for you know, a screenplay. For, for a film of the book which has been really as I say was described earlier what it's been like it's, it's a very different form of writing as well and, and I've kind of missed the the freedom of prose or it's just a different way of writing and so I'm I'm kind of formulating I'm doing a lot of reading at the moment and uh, I'm, I'm putting together a few new chapters for a new book which will be uh, fiction based but you know, fiction-y, I should say. It, is it fiction, ever fiction? Is it ever fiction? <laughs> That's what I mean, uh, you know, yeah. fiction as in, yeah. Uh, but but there's so much room in, in that. It's just a wider scope to kind of, to explore things a bit more, I think. Mm. And my kids are older now too, and, and um, getting to the teenage embarrassed stage if they don't want to be written about. And I, you know, I, I have to respect that. And um, so, you know fictionalizing things just gives me more scope to to and you can kind of blend people together then like in a mixer you know and just <laughs> <laughs> and, and blend thoughts and memories together and it's 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 a lovely space so um it'll be more more of that uh, m- more of the same kind of narrative voice but just written in a in a in a more yeah in, in, not, in not as a direct you know personal voice if that makes sense
1: (laughs) where do you find your joy these days
0: ah oh well there's plenty of joy to be had yeah um in my work in my kids in in my friends there's uh we we were laughing the other day about um you know the gray skies and stuff and, and i was arguing that there's no it, it's no coincidence that all the writers and <laughs> uh, and stuff come from Ireland where we have grey skies. that too much sunshine and and uh, and empty headedness is, uh, is 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 not good for the creative spirit. <laughs> a little bit is good, but you know, um, you know, I could quite happily go back to living a, an empty headed happy life, um, but I kind of feel like I've 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 found this thing, um. This writing voice, um, and uh, yeah, I like in order to channel it, I need to, to keep my edges a bit sharp, if that makes sense. So, um,
1: your edge is a bit sharp. What do you mean yes. by that? The clouds you know, need to stay another yeah, few months, a little bit, a little bit cloudy, yeah. um, but just you know, not getting
0: too complacent. Um, yeah uh and and knowing and, and, and keeping a sense of my own independence as well and and, and uh, it never bothered me, you know, um that sense of being a widow. I grew up with very strong women who who um who raise kids on their own, you know. I don't feel like I'm alone, but I mean in terms of uh you know the day and its challenges, uh, I don't really divide it into joy and and, and moments of joy like even in the depths of stuff with Simon there was plenty of joy
1: to be had in the kids and and all of that so yeah I'm more into the tapestry yeah (laughs) yeah it's all woven in there in the fabric of your day yeah well Ruth I wish you so much success with your new book your screenplay and your current book which was published 18 months ago now I found my tribe
0: strangely which I only realized the other day um, the book was was published in 2017 and, and and Simon died at the end of that year which is very strange that they both happened in the same year yeah yeah 2017. Yeah.
1: So I found my tribe in all good bookstores <laughs> and online thank you so much Ruth you're such a gorgeous person and it was such a pleasure oh, having you here.
0: I don't want to go it's really comfy on couch. let Let's have a cup
1: of tea we'll and <laughs> switch this off and yeah. yeah. Thank you so much. And I hope that someone listening today has found inspiration somewhere in there. I've no doubt they have.
0: Well, for my rambling nonsense, if you can find anything worth thinking, then I am truly grateful.
1: (laughs) Thank you, Ruth. so much for listening to this episode of Shapes of Grief. This podcast is not a substitute for professional medical or psychological advice. If your grief is making you unwell, please do go to your healthcare provider. Grief is a normal part of being human. You are not alone. Join the Shapes of Grief community in our private Facebook group and find more support and useful links on shapesofgrief.com. Until the next time, from me, Liz Gleeson, stay well.